we're told constantly by doctors, people around us who mean well to eat healthy and how we need to eat better and do better. But if you think about it, you're never taught that. You're never taught, is somehow your doctor just expects you to know these things, yeah. but no one ever teaches you. Welcome back to Startup Health Now, the podcast where we celebrate the entrepreneurs and innovators who are transforming health. I'm your host, Logan Plaster. At Startup Health, we're all about what's new and what's next in health. That often means talking about cutting edge technology. But sometimes the most radical way to improve health is also the simplest. One example, our food. This week, as we head into Thanksgiving in the United States, we're talking about the role food plays in managing not just our weight and fitness, but actual chronic diseases. Some people use the term food as medicine. And the more research we do, the more ways we find that tuning our nutrition can be superior to taking more pharmaceuticals. While the idea of seeing food as a legitimate healthcare tool isn't new per se, there are some exciting new tools and platforms that leverage nutritional information and make it more accessible to the world. And that's what we're gonna talk about today. My first guest is Shireen Abdullah, CEO and founder of Yumlish. Shireen's platform puts a virtual nutritionist in your pocket, you might say, with a strong emphasis on boosting health literacy. She's also worked very closely with the Air Force on workforce readiness. It turns out there are so many young people who are overweight and inactive that it's hindering military recruitment and even becoming a national security threat. After Shireen, we'll hear from Victor Panev, CEO and founder of Edamom. Victor has made the world's food knowledge more searchable through their API so that users of platforms like Noom and Verta Health can get personalized meal recommendations. We'll also hear about their brand new integration with OpenAI that brings a ChatGPT experience to the process of finding personalized meal plans. First, let's hear from Shireen Abdullah from Yumlish. A note that these conversations were recorded on the floor of the health conference in Las Vegas. Enjoy. Shireen, always good to catch up with you. As always, thank you so much, Logan, for this opportunity. I've always uh, appreciated hearing your updates and understanding what you're doing with Yumlish. I was on your website and I read an interesting statistic yes. that 78% of consumers report uh, conflicting information about what to eat and what to avoid. Why is it so difficult for people to know yeah. what they should be eating? Yeah, I'll actually start that off with a, with a quick story of my own, Logan. So a few years ago, I was diagnosed with a chronic condition, turned to my doctor at the time, really tried to understand what I could do differently in my health. And I just remember my doctor at the time telling me, oh, just eat healthy. And it just came across like it was this obvious thing yeah. that I wasn't doing. And that really kind of hit me. And that ties back to the statistic that you just mentioned, because it is true. We're told constantly by doctors, people around us who mean well, who no doubt mean yeah. well, to eat healthy and how we need to eat better and do better. But if you think about it, you're never taught that. You're never is somehow your doctor just expects you to know these things, yeah. but no one ever teaches you. And so with that, when Yemlish was born, that's exactly what we focus on is scaling nutrition literacy. Yeah. Right. And what that means is how do I read a nutrition label? What's important for me to know on there? What oils should I buy when I go to the grocery store? How do I pick produce? Um, a lot of the I, I was just going to quickly say that the stat that you mentioned with the 78 percent. Um, over half the population doesn't know the difference between what to eat and avoid. It's 
crazy. Right. And that's exactly it. It just drives back to exactly the cycle that we're stuck in. And we're told the best we're told is eat healthy. But what does that really mean for us isn't translated well. And there's this paradigm where on one end, you've got too little information. You've got a doctor who says eat healthy. Yeah. Not enough information. Yeah. On the other side, you've got Google. You've yeah. got too much information. Yeah. So you could Google which oil should I buy yeah. all day. Yeah. Should I eat this cereal or that cereal? Yeah. And who knows what you're going to get. Exactly. So how did Yumlish, how did you try to, you know, take a bite out of that, yeah. if you will, Yeah. Um, and bring better information to people? Yeah. We started simple. We said, what is the resource out there that knows the answer to that very question? It's a dietitian. This is a person that goes to school to learn exactly those things to coach you sure. on. But there is an immense shortfall in dietitians needed to address the demand. Any clinic you go to, anywhere you go, these dietitians are overworked, underpaid. A tech-enabled solution like ours was just needed in order to scale a dietitian. So we're not claiming that we have all the answers, but what we are claiming is that a dietitian knows better and that our solution helps scale that reach of a dietitian. How much of the solution is tech and how yeah. much of it is person? Yep. Um, the solution is really multi, sort of like multi-tiered in that way. We've got a content layer, we've got group coaching, and then one-on-one -on, -one on okay. top of that. So we try to do, we try to reduce as much of the dietitian's time by providing some of that sure, content of that cuts across Otherwise populations. Otherwise, it's not scalable. You get Otherwise, back to the it's original not exactly. problem, but the group, you know, issue is interesting. Um, I'm fascinated by the fact that you've worked with the Air Force. Yes. Uh, typically, if I think about nutrition, I just think about maybe somebody with type 2 diabetes, yes. uh, just your average individual. But working with the Air Force brought up sort of a different issue around nutrition. This yeah. idea you've told me before about uh, workforce readiness. Yes. What's the term you used? Yes, mission readiness. Mission readiness. 100%. So tell me how nutrition plays into mission readiness. Yep. I'll start out with a quick stat on that side. So 70% of youth between the ages of 17 to 24 doesn't even qualify for service. One of the top reasons is weight and obesity. We have a huge recruitment problem in our service in that we're just not able to meet the demands that is, that is needed to be able to backfill all the people that are retiring and the new entries that are entrants that are needed. And so with that, we're in a, in a very constrained situation because we need to have a line of defense to the point that now obesity is a national security issue. Mm. It's just a very it's big wild. deal. Yeah. It is wild. And so when we're thinking out of, about obesity, we normally connect it to exactly to what you said, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, all of those other things. But for an 18-year-old, it is their first paycheck. That's what's on the line It's an there. economic issue. It is it's an a, economic issue. It's a safety, it's a security issue. Interesting. Listen. Okay, okay. Yeah. So what was the experience like working with the Air Force, what, what, what did you learn? It's a different kind of client. It is a very different client. And one of the key things that we learned is, so we, we ran our program with the Air Force, we did it. And through that, we learned a number of things. One is if you're working with a person who has diabetes and what we're doing on the Medicaid side, or a person who's an 18 year old, both have very common questions, which is, what do I read on the nutrition label again? Yeah. How am I, what are the sugars? What am I, what does this ingredient mean? Yeah. These are very common questions that cut across disease states, cut, cut across age groups. So tell me about what it was like to work with the Air Force. It's, it's a, a unique type of client. What did you learn from that experience? Yeah, so it is a unique client, but one of the key things I think that we learned was it can be an 18-year-old recruit who's trying to get to their first job in the service or it can be a person who has diabetes, who's on Medicaid, 
both of them have common questions. Like, how do I read the nutrition label? Yeah. What does the hidden sugar look like on it? Is this really healthy for me? What can I do differently? Those are the common things that bind us. And, and that's exactly what nutrition literacy is about, is answering those very important questions that are so important to people when they're making decisions literally on a day-to-day -day basis. So basically you're saying it, just, it all comes down to the same building blocks. Same building blocks. That you got to nail. It's Absolutely. just like how to have a life where you're thriving. You got to know what to eat, what not to eat. Absolutely. Yeah, okay, so you had the Air Force deal. What other projects are you working on that you're excited about? Yeah, one of the uh, big ones that we're working on right now is really growing and expanding via Medi-Cal in the California okay. market. Uh, that's our next sort of big one and really working with managed care plans there. How are you seeing the conversation shift? Are you seeing a greater you know, appetite for innovation within this type of nutrition care? Mm -hmm. I think time and again, one of the big things for us right now is this whole thing around food as medicine, right? Yeah. And when we talk about food as medicine, we constantly talk about meal kits. We talk about getting groceries to the individual. You have to pair it with literacy, right? If I said, Logan, I'll get you all these books. Yeah. You don't know how to read it. Yeah. What, what are you going to do with these books, <laughs> right? We have to create a virtuous cycle. And that's where lit literacy plays such a huge role. All right, all right. And, and how is that part of the Yumlish platform? Yeah. Break it down. I get the idea of like group coaching with a nutritionist, but how is the literacy piece a part of it? 100%. So one is just a low literacy solution that we have. We've gone above and beyond to make sure that it does right. that. It is a low literacy solution. We've also made it um, low tech. But what I mean by low tech, it is tech enabled from our side, but low tech as in, there isn't a UI, an additional UI or an app that the person needs to download. We meet them where they are. We meet them on web and text, which is where they're spending most of their time. Is it challenging to prove your efficacy? Is, is nutrition, it's, it's a long tail sort of journey. Yeah. Uh, so how do you go about proving that to a potential funder? Yeah. Yeah, so the big things for us there are the clinical outcomes. We've been able to prove it. In fact, American Diabetes Association ran uh, surveys with our participants, and they showed on there how we're engaging 89% of participants that come through our platform stay with us nine months or more. Okay. Right? Uh, that's so on the engagement front. Engagement is strong. Yeah. Engagement is strong. We're seeing weight loss. We're seeing um, A1C drop. I mean, okay. there's just time and again we're proving it out. It's not about the next app. It's about meeting them where they are which is web and text. Interesting. Oh, it's just interesting to hear that. Hear you say that because I have so many conversations with companies that are dialed into the data, but if you don't understand your own nutrition, you can't even get to the good data, then it's garbage in and garbage out. 100%. When, uh, you know, sometimes even we'll, we'll get some folks uh, to the conversation and they'll say, oh yeah, what device does this connect to? Yeah. And already I know that that's not yeah. the best conversation to have because if you're leading with technology and what's flashy and fancy out there. Does it connect there, to your uh, Apple Watch? You does know, it connect? Absolutely. You're like not the first question. When you're not, not the first question. Absolutely. And that's just it. If you're leading the conversation with technology, you're leaving opportunity on the table. Mm. You have to lead with what does this person want and what's important to them. They don't want something flashy. The questions we get is how do I make sure that my kid doesn't get diabetes? Yeah. Right, you have to start by answering that question. All of the other stuff, the bells and whistles can be added on. That's yeah. not a problem. That's never been a problem. The problem is how do you meet them where they are and create trust with them in a manner that's most respectful to their background mm. and that aligns with how they understand technology. 
What's one strategy you've employed for creating trust? Yeah, one of the biggest things for us is uh, our culturally competent programs. So we'll hear participants who come to our program say, my doctor told me I can't have tortillas anymore. Okay. All right, let's start there. Yeah. You can absolutely have your tortillas. Nothing wrong with that. Let's try to figure out if it's a quantity issue. Yeah. Let's work through that. Right? Interesting. And that's how we start that trust. Awesome. Shireen, love having you into the studio to get an update. Appreciate how you're, you're working on this issue. Um, the whole you know, military readiness piece is so fascinating and um, appreciate that you're sort of thinking about nutrition on this sort of multifactorial uh, sort of layer. Thank so, you as always, Logan. It's such a pleasure. Thank All you. Right. Take care. That was Shireen Abdullah, CEO and founder of Yumlish. Next up, a conversation I had with Victor Panev, CEO and founder of Edamom. Edamom provides food data that powers some of the most popular websites and apps on the market. You probably wouldn't even know you were using Edamom, but they've done the hard back-end work of tagging thousands upon thousands of recipes so that people with chronic conditions can find meal plans and recipes that are right for them. Let's hear from Victor. So, Victor, let's just start by understanding uh, this interesting way that you're organizing the world's food data. Tell us all about it. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, the premise about the organizing the food data is that we believe that people will live up to 120 years without chronic conditions and mental illness if they eat right. So, we set out to organize the world's food knowledge, give it back to people so they can live the long, healthy lives. Now, uh, in the process, we've built a platform that we power various companies, whether in the food, health, and wellness sector, to be able to provide solutions to end consumers that help them eat better. Whether those are nutrition analysis, uh, meal recommendations, meal plans, looking up data, all of that is available to our clients, which are usually businesses in the health and wellness sector that then build applications, diet management, uh, personalized meal recommendations, so on and so Got forth. It. Okay, so. okay. So my understanding is that your food data could be sort of powering other, uh, you know, other apps or platforms that I might be running into. So, so where does your data kind of bubble to the surface? Yeah, there's, I mean, quite a few. Like, example here, there's Noom, which is a client of ours. Oh, really? Okay. Virta Health is a client of ours. Um, you know, there's companies like Opsys Health, Bytewell. How uh, does a company like Noom, which is huge, how does it incorporate your data? Well, there is, you know, some kind of a form of personalized meal recommendation. So we have recipes, a very, very large database of recipes that we've analyzed and tagged for every nutrient, allergen, lifestyle, diet, chronic condition, so on and so forth. We've tagged all those recipes, made them searchable. And Noom uses us, for example, to complement their database with recipes, with recipes that come from us that are already analyzed and tagged and easy to personalize. So yeah. that's what we do for them. You know, that's that's usually the use case for chronic condition management, wellness, so on and so forth. Um, it's and, yeah, interesting. Since you're in this this business of meal recommendations, it just makes me think about this surge in interest in generative AI and how it is impacting sort of every recommendation engine. So how does that impact Edamom? Yeah, well, in a lot of different ways, and I'm glad you asked it. We're launching today, actually, an integration with OpenAI. Yes, nice. uh, with OpenAI that actually allows the, the customers of our clients to ask in a natural language questions, like, you know, build me a keto meal plan for three weeks that is under 500 calories per, per meal, whatnot. We'll be able to generate from that 
uh, a request to our APIs and then return a very accurate data because generative AI does hallucinate, yeah. as everybody knows. We mitigate that problem by linking that natural intuitive interface to our APIs. So that's one way we've addressed it. But generally, what has happened in the industry is people say, oh, there's a new tool. Now we can solve a lot of problems just by going to OpenAI. Turned out that's not very yeah. correct because of the accuracy of the data. And that's where we come in. We believe that actually that has a very positive effect for our business because down the road, we'll be able to marry the intuitive nature of the generative AI interfaces, the chatbots, and our accurate data and build something that's very useful for our clients and for their customers. So you're launching this uh, right now, what's it called? Uh, we call it AI Assistant, not very AI creative. Okay. Yes. Oh, no, it's not all right, that's all right. We, we thought about calling Eddie from Adamon, but you know, we decided against it. I, I like it, AI Assistant, and if I were to want to use it, would I download an app, would I go to your website, how do I use it? As an end consumer, you wouldn't be able to use it, so we sell to businesses. Got it. And so it will be a business, let's say it's an app that is building diet management for kidney disease. Got it. Um, so as a client of theirs, instead of you know asking for a meal plan that you have to you know go through a bunch of drop downs and onboarding interviews. If you're on Noom or Verta, like you said, now their app is powered by this AI right. assistant. Well, not yet, not, not yet. yet, but you know, Could be. you know, that will be the type of applications that we'll be able to um, to support, you yeah. know. So there, there are a few early startups that are experimenting with that, and you know, we, we're trying to integrate the AI assistant into that, so we'll be able to actually do this in a very intuitive way. So as a customer, you'll be just saying, hey, this is what I want, that sends an API request to us, we return the data, and then our client will structure that as a meal plan that's described for the end consumer, or a recommendation, or nutrition analysis. Now I want to ask you a more philosophical question, because I know you're a thoughtful guy. Uh, we're applying all this data, all of this technology, and at the root is a pretty simple problem of, of people needing to eat better, and there's some yeah. very sort of like simple elements to this, right? Absolutely. Um, Culturally, do you see us moving towards building the habits of better eating? What do you see around you in terms of the trend of nutrition? I see very diametrical forces. Mm. So there is a portion of the population that's become very health conscious and starting to seek and eat better. For better or worse, that tend to be the more affluent part of the population, so they can afford to pay more for food, uh, they can, they have the time to actually investigate and learn and whatnot. Talk about health equity and whatnot. So there is also part of the population that is being squeezed economically, and they're going for the cheapest food. Yeah. And this is where you know I think public policy has a role to play because the market um, drives companies, especially in the food space, to minimize costs. Mm. usually by processing food, which is not very healthy. So processed food is the bane of healthy living. Uh, and so unless there is a way to drive food companies toward creating health food, the portion of the population that cannot afford expensive food is probably going to fall off the wagon. Now, I hope that this is going to change because there was, you know, here in the U.S. in particular, there was a, a White House initiative around food as medicine, which allowed for companies to get reimbursed by Medicare and Medicaid if they prescribe food sure. for somebody who is a patient and then the food gets reimbursed. Now, it's a very positive development because that addresses all those issues. So if all the other insurance companies get on the bandwagon for reimbursing food, 
food suddenly becomes really a medicine, and then I think we have a solution. But what I'm saying is, for the most part, still the basic decision why people choose to eat is price and convenience. It's not healthiness, unfortunately. We want to change that, but if we don't drop the price of healthy food beyond below what unhealthy food is, we're going to have a battle on our hands. Assuming that you're right, that, that the cost is that main driver, what role do you see food data playing in sort of health equity? I think there is a lot of misinformation there, especially food data is very, very kind of murky waters because there's a lot of fats, there's sure. a lot of conflicting data. I mean, that's part of the reason why I started the company is let's organize that knowledge so we can actually provide actionable accurate data to people at the point of making a decision because there's so much conflicting data. So uh, I think part of it is to give the right data to the person when they need it so they can make the right choice. And oftentimes it actually speaks to healthy food that might be cheaper that you just don't think about. Exactly. So if you're, <clears throat> for example, a mom that lives in the Bronx and has to feed a four-person family coming back from work, you know, the immediate go-to is like, I'm just going to go buy McDonald's and get four Happy Meals. But, you know, likely you can do rice and beans for a week at the same price or lower price, which is a healthier meal, which is probably related to your heritage and uh, also has all the necessary nutrients. You just don't think about it. Yeah. So if we can provide people with a contextually right information, we hope to be able to change habits. In an accessible tool. In accessible you know, tools. People are starting to get so used to things like ChatGPT that you can imagine someone saying, what's a healthy alternative to, to uh, Happy Meals that costs the same? And all of a sudden you've got an answer coming out that will powered be, by Edamom. Yeah. That will be, I mean, we'll be the company powering the data behind, yeah. but will somebody be building apps? I don't know if ChatGPT is prevalent in the Bronx, but you know, there are all kinds of other ways to deliver the data. And that's why we are very much agnostic as to the platform of how the data is delivered. Whether it's a dietitian that sits in a grocery store, whether it's you know a school who you know or uses an app that's using our data, uh, whether it's a mobile app or whether it's ChatGPT interface, whether it's a talking device yeah. like Amazon Alexa, it doesn't matter. For as long as people use it, we want our data to be there to help people make the decision. Awesome. Well, Victor, you've been on this uh, mission for a long time, and I really. It's been exciting to watch these partnerships grow and uh, you have a strong impact. It's, it's a much bigger issue than one company. It's a whole cultural, global issue of accessible, healthy food. And so I appreciate the work that you're doing and the way you're bringing a lot of help to yeah, a lot of people. Yeah, thank you. It's a 50-year-old battle, battle and we'll yeah. win it awesome. eventually. Thanks, Victor. Appreciate thank your you. time. Thanks for listening to Startup Health Now. We'll be back again with another episode next week.